You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 84. Hey, I'm your host, Dr. Yami. I'm a board-certified pediatrician, certified health and wellness coach, author, and speaker. I'm also a passionate promoter of the power of diet and lifestyle in preventing and reversing chronic disease and bringing joy and longevity into our lives. This podcast is focused on plant-based nutrition, habit formation, motivation, and mindset so that you can have the tools to live the best life possible. Are you ready to get started? Let's do this. If there's a 15-year-old girl who's just got cramps and her family is telling her that's just part of being a woman, well, maybe not. I mean, let's, let's see if we can fix this. Or if a guy has got erectile dysfunction and he thinks he just needs Viagra, maybe not. Um, so let's let's tackle these things. But but m- more importantly than that, yes, I hope people get better. But more importantly, I hope they share this information, share it on social media, share it with their families. We've got to get this information out there. Happy Sunday, veggie lovers! I hope that you are having a fantastic day, and I am so excited to bring you this episode of Veggie Doctor Radio with. Dr. Neil Barnard. We all love him so much. He is amazing and he has a new book coming out that I know you're going to love and I hope that you order and read and share with all of your friends and families. Share it on social media. Give copies away. It's really going to help a lot of people. But before I get into talking more about our interview, let me just remind you If you want to sign up for my newsletter, I'm going to have some special events coming up in the next few months that I'm going to announce on there. Please go to either dryami.com forward slash sign up or text the word fiber, F-I-B-E-R, to 66866. So text the word fiber to 66866 or go to dryami.com slash sign up. I want to read my first international review for my book. This is so exciting. I know that people have been ordering from Chile, from the UK, from Germany. Oh my gosh, so incredible. Thank you all so much. I really appreciate it. It warms my heart and just, it's so exciting. And I just I just hope that it's helping you. It's helping you um, feel more empowered, more joyful and more relaxed, really. That's why I wrote the book. But this, my first international review, five stars from... Yasmin Moore, or Yasmin Moore. Actually, it's from the United Kingdom, so I don't know how you pronounce it exactly, but it's Yasmin Moore. So she titled it Insightful. Very well written with lots of well thought out information. Helped me understand more about what kids should be eating, why they should be eating it, and how to trust and be aware of their natural ability to understand their own hunger. The bonus is that it also helped me look at my own eating habits differently and address some issues I have had. Oh, I love that so much. Thank you so much, Yasmin. I appreciate you ordering the book all the way from the UK. How 
exciting is that? And thank you so much. I hope that it continues to help want to also remind you that this podcast is for informational and educational purposes. It is not medical advice. So please follow the recommendations of your healthcare provider. All right, so let's get on to talk about Dr. Neil Barnard. You probably already know who he is because Dr. Barnard is the president of the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. He is also an adjunct professor of medicine at the George Washington University School of Medicine in Washington, D.C. He has led numerous research studies investigating the effects of diet on diabetes, body weight, and chronic pain, including a groundbreaking study of dietary interventions in type 2 diabetes funded by the National Institutes of Health that paved the way for viewing type 2 diabetes as a potentially reversible condition for many patients. He has authored more than 90 scientific publications, and 20 books. This guy, I guess he just doesn't sleep. He's also the editor-in-chief of the Nutrition Guide for Clinicians, which is a textbook made available to all U.S. medical students. As the president of the Physicians Committee, he leads programs advocating for preventive medicine, good nutrition, and higher ethical standards in research. And his research has contributed to the acceptance of plant-based diets in the dietary guidelines for Americans. In 2015, he was named a fellow of the American College of Cardiology. And in 2016, he founded the Barnard Medical Center in Washington, DC, as a model for making nutrition a routine part of all medical care. He's originally from Fargo, North Dakota, and he received his medical degree at the George Washington University School of Medicine and completed his residency there as well. So in this interview today, we talk about his new book that is going to be released February 4th. It's called Your Body in Balance, The New Science of Food, Hormones, and Health. This is available for pre-order on all your major book selling sites, so Amazon included. You can go pre-order it right now and you'll get it right when it's released. And I just love this book because he covers all different kinds of conditions, including things like menstrual cramps, polycystic ovarian syndrome, infertility, diabetes, even acne and depression and mental health issues. So there's a lot of different things that are covered in this book. And he talks about how and what we can eat in order to decrease our risk of these conditions and balance our hormones. I know you're going to love this interview, so let's get on with it. Here is a conversation between myself and Dr. Neil Barnard. Dr. Barnard, thank you so much for being on Veggie Doctor Radio today. This is such an honor, and I'm just so grateful for everything that you have done for us, founding PCRM, the Food for Life program, all the books you've written, you've contributed so much to plant-based nutrition. So thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you. And thanks also for including me in, in today's program. Awesome. Well, you have a new book coming out very soon in just a few days called Your Body in Balance, The New Science of Food, Hormones, and Health. Such an interesting and fascinating book. I think that this is perfect timing because it seems like in our society, we blame everything on hormones, right? From the most subtle symptoms 
to the more pervasive issues. But what really are some of the more common conditions that you address in your book that really do have a hormonal component to them? Well, what you said is exactly right, is that, that we blame hormones for things, but you know, the, the truth is they deserve a little bit of blame. And what started me off on this uh, was I was sitting here at my desk and the phone rang and it was a young woman who had a pretty bad symptom. She had terrible menstrual cramps. Um, now, menstrual cramps aren't fatal, but they can feel like they are. And, and for maybe one in 10 women, they're just off the scale terrible for maybe one day every month. And so she said, could I give her some painkillers? And I said, yes, I could. But as she was talking, I started to think through what, what is causing this and how can we prevent them from happening next month, the next month, the next month. So I suggested something that I don't think any doctor ever suggested to a patient for menstrual cramps, which was, I said, would you like to try a diet experiment? For, for the next month, no animal products in your diet at all. I'm going to make you into a vegan. And secondly, keep oils really, really to a bare minimum. She said, well, well I'll try it. So I gave her a couple days of painkillers, and then I prescribed this very low-fat plant-based diet. And the next month, she had her period came with zero symptoms. And the month after that, the month after that, she was effectively cured. And so I then connected with the department of uh, OBGYN at Georgetown University's School of Medicine. And we decided to put this to the test. And we found that the, the diet that I had, had, had suggested um, not only reduces pain, but reduces PMS symptoms, and we published those results. Um, and and in, in the course of this study, I have to tell you, um, we asked all of the women who are participating in this research study to test the effect on cramps. We asked them not to use any hormonal medications because that would, that would interfere with what the study was doing. And so that meant no birth control pills. And we said, if, if, if anybody's sexually active, please use a different kind of contraception, not the pill. So one of the women in the study said, don't worry about me. She and her husband had given up the idea of having a baby years earlier. She said, we've both been evaluated. It's not him, it's me. I don't ovulate, I'm infertile. Um, that's it. So we don't use the pill, we don't use anything. The second month that she was on the plant-based diet, she came into the research center and she said, I got some, well, I got bad news, I got good news. I said, well, what is it? And the bad news is I'm leaving your study. And the good news is I am pregnant. Um, and she gave birth to a beautiful baby and then she had another baby and she had three kids. Um, this is a woman who thought she was infertile. So, so you asked like, what are the, the conditions that really are? It's day-to-day -day things that, that people don't associate with food, but when we get our food back into balance, the hormones that cause this kind of roller coaster ride get back into balance. And so, so everything from cramps to infertility to endometriosis, to more serious things. Breast cancer, ovarian cancer, uterine cancer in men, prostate cancer, all of these things are hormonally driven. But in every single case, your hormones can be dialed by what you choose to eat. And it's not necessarily intuitive. A person's gonna think, why would a vegan diet dial my estrogens down? Well, th there are reasons for all that, and hopefully we'll get into them today. Um, because it suddenly starts to make sense and you can get your body back in balance. So that's my message. Yeah. And, you know, you were saying that um, 
you know, some of the, some of the things are more serious, like cancers and things like that. But for women that have a period every single month, that can be debilitating. They can miss work. They might not be able to function and take care of their kids for a couple of days a month. Uh, so this is something that's very powerful. And as you were saying, in your, one of the studies that you guys did, that was a crossover design. Right. So the women had to do one type of diet and then they would cross over to the next type of the diet when women saw that they had improvement on the low fat plant-based diet, they were like, uh, uh, I'm not going back to the old way because this changed my life. I mean, don't you think that's true that this can be very impactful for somebody? Oh, exactly. What you said is, is, is what you discover in research studies. We very often do this crossover design where you do one condition and you do the other condition uh, for, for comparison, but exactly what you said did happen that women started the low fat vegan diet and and they lost weight and their cholesterol was improved and they felt better, their energy was good, their digestion was finally sorted out, the constipation was gone. But when that vice around your abdomen that comes every month is finally released and you don't have pain anymore, um, we couldn't, many of the women said, I'm, I'm sticking with this diet, I'm not stopping it, even if you want me to stop it for research purposes. Um, they, they just wouldn't. And um, we see this over and over again um, with research studies that, that we do uh, migraine headaches, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, these are many conditions. But, but maybe I should explain why a, why a vegan diet would help cramps because um, it sounds like a peculiar thing. Yeah. But um, th there are really three issues. The first is, is that fiber helps your body to eliminate excess estrogens. Your ovaries make estrogens and, and other body tissues do too. And your body has a way of getting rid of the excess. So your liver filters your blood and it takes the excess estrogen and sends it into the, through the bile duct into the intestinal tract. And if you have plenty of fiber in your diet, it, it washes it away. It just, you're literally flushing the excess estrogens away. That's, that's a good thing to do. But fiber is plant roughage. It's only in vegetables and fruits and beans and grains. So if your lunch was a salmon filet or a chicken breast or a steak or, or, or yogurt, these are not plants, so they don't have any, any fiber. And so the estrogen that's in your intestinal tract is reabsorbed back into the bloodstream and it keeps cycling around. So you have too much estrogen. What, what's the problem? Having extra estrogen causes the lining of the uterus to thicken up. Now that happens every month to, to a, a degree, but with extra estrogen, the lining of the uterus thickens up more. And at the end of the month, when it disintegrates in menstrual flow, the cramping is severe. And so if you don't have quite as much estrogen, if it's back in the normal range where it should be, you don't have that pain. Um, so a lack of fiber is one problem. We can rectify that really easily. Fat has the effect of increasing estrogen also. We don't really know why that is. But um, animal fat, but even uh, fryer grease and, and too much oil of any kind seems to have that effect. And then the third thing is cheese. <laughs> Americans love cheese. Um, cheese, pizza, grilled cheese, and so forth. But cheese came from milk, and that milk came out of a cow. And cows make estrogen. And it's a match for your estrogen. And you, you think, well, wait a minute. How much cheese, I mean, how much estrogen could there really be in cheese? Well, keep it's traces. But your average American eats 35 pounds of cheese every year. Oh, my goodness. Plus ice cream, plus plus yogurt, plus the, the butter and other dairy products baked into to foods that we eat. And the amount of estrogen is enough to affect your cycle. And it affects men too. 
men, research studies have shown that men consuming the most cheese have the lowest, the, the worst sperm counts. It affects their fertility. Um, so anyhow, there's all kinds of reasons why foods can affect our hormones, but the, the great news is that those are under our control. We can change exactly. them. Yeah. And with the estrogens in the dairy, is that why you said in the book that dairy is toxic to ovaries? Or are there other reasons why dairy can affect our, the ovaries so strongly? There actually is another reason, and it's a bit of a, a, bit of a surprise. Um, you would think the estrogens in dairy are plenty. Frankly, that's plenty of a good reason to avoid it. And especially, let's say your seven-year-old daughter is planning her lunch. How much estrogen do you want her to be swallowing? Mm. Or your six-year-old son, I mean, do you, you don't want them to be having that, but, but it's in dairy products. But there's a bigger reason, or another reason with regard to um, infertility in particular. Um, when, when a woman is in her late 20s, if you start tracking fertility in women in their late 20s, it starts to decline as they hit 30 and 32 and 34 and 36, which is why a lot of women will think, gee, you know, I want to have a career. I don't really want to raise my family right now. But if you wait too long, um, your, your fertility is likely to be less as you reach 40, for example. So a researcher named Daniel Kramer at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston had a hypothesis that dairy products are going to harm fertility. And in this case, it was the dairy sugar. The dairy sugar is lactose. And the lactose sugar in your digestive tract breaks apart to release galactose, at least for if you can digest it, that's what happens. And the galactose is toxic to the ovary. And so what Kramer found is if you look at a country like Thailand, where women don't consume much dairy, uh, the, the drop in fertility as, as women pass through their 30s was about 25%. In the United States, where women consume lots of dairy, the drop in fertility is about 80% from women from between, say, the late 20s and the late 30s. And then he put all the different countries that they had studied on a, a graph. And it's not a perfect relationship, but it's quite compelling that the more dairy women consume, the more they lose their fertility. So my advice, oh, oh, and even worse, um, researchers in Sweden then looked at another problem with the ovaries, and that's cancer. Ovarian cancer is, um, this is no joke. Um, Ovarian cancer is often discovered quite late. It doesn't have early symptoms. Um, it's very often fatal. Um, researchers found that the more dairy women consume, the higher the risk of ovarian cancer. And what we think is happening is that the galactose attacks the ovaries and is toxic to the ovarian cells. So that causes the fertility to be lost and it ultimately increases the risk of ovarian cancer. Wow. I mean, I'm definitely on board with dairy elimination or severely reducing it for people that feel like they can't completely eliminate it. So this is definitely something that I advocate and, and talk to families as a pediatrician about over and over again. But some of the research that you presented in this book about dairy and its effect on the ovary and of course in male, male infertility and prostate cancer, that even just adds to the list of reasons why we really should not be putting dairy on our plate or in our glass. Well, yes, um, and as I briefly mentioned in men, researchers in, in Rochester, New York, uh, went into fertility, a fertility clinic, and they looked at men who were there to have, be evaluated, and it turned out that the more cheese the men ate, the lower their sperm counts. Um, and not just sperm uh, count, but also sperm morphology, meaning the mm -hmm. shape, and motility, meaning do they swim properly. Um, and the hypothesis is that those traces of estrogen in a man's body 
are interfering with his fertility. So, so the researchers also went into a college. Th these were young guys um, who thought they were pretty healthy. Uh, they were not at uh, the age where they were going to intending to start families, but they found the same thing. Um, that when you check sperm counts from, from these guys, the more they eat cheese, the, the worse they do. Now we need more research here, but the, it's, it's useful to think about what nature had in mind, if I can put it that way. Cow's milk is made by a cow for one purpose, and that's for a calf to have nourishment until the calf can graze. Mm -hmm. That's it. When, when, when nature looks at us having milk from a cow, she just scratches her head thinking, what are you people doing? Mm -hmm. And nowadays, it is so easy to go dairy-free. If you want something to splash on your cereal, there's soy milk, almond milk, oat milk, rice milk, hemp milk, you name it. Um, every day, there's, a, there's another one. Um, and they used to call it the dairy case, but look at what's there now. Dairy is kind of a, a becoming more and more of a detail. Um, and milk consumption in the U.S. has dropped just enormously um, for, for, for many reasons, but, but these health reasons are a big part of it. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, and just add to that, you can make your own plant-based milk at home. You can make it out of oats. You can make it out of hemp seeds. It's pretty easy. And yesterday, I saw a new product. It was almond paste that you can take the paste, just blend it with water, and make your, um, your own almond milk, decrease packaging, more sustainable for some people. So there's options popping up everywhere for people. That is fantastic. So... I want to talk about something serious here, okay? So we know we need to eat more plants. We know that we need to eat fiber for sure. But fat, let's talk about fat because I feel like fat is one of those things, especially now with people doing ketogenic diets or going low carb. And you'll read on the internet what to improve hormones. It'll say increase your amount of healthy fats. Of course, in there, it'll mention fish and salmon and things like that. But what you're saying for the majority of these conditions, we should really keep our fat intake low, even from plant sources. Right. So can you talk more about that? Sure. Um, you do need fats in the diet. Um, this will not be on the test, but the two that you need are alpha linolenic acid and linoleic acid. Um, and they're in plants. Uh, plants provide all that you need. Um, and the amount that you actually require is just a couple of percent of your calories. Um, and in fact, if you pick up a, a sprig of broccoli and you send it to a lab, they'll tell you that it's, oh, maybe eight or 9% of its calories are from fat. And it's quite heavily, uh, proportionately toward omega-3, um, which, which surprises people. There's not a lot of fat in these foods, but proportionally it's the ones that, that your body actually needs. Um, the problem is, and Researchers have never figured out quite why this is, but when people increase their quantity of fat, their, the fat in their diet, their estrogen levels rise. And higher estrogens are, are frankly, they increase the risk of, of uh, postmenopausal breast cancer quite significantly. Um, and all these other issues that we mentioned along the way go along with it. Now, you, you mentioned a ketogenic diet, and the ketogenic diets are a fad that come and go, and they've been doing this ever since the 50s when people started blaming weight problems on bread. Um, and it's, it's a mistake, in my view, to follow that kind of diet. They're popular just for a reason. Um, probably 50 or 60% of what people eat is carbohydrate. If you take that out of your diet, you're gonna lose weight because you're not eating a normal amount of food. If you bring other foods into the diet in the same quantity as you were eating before, you're not gonna lose any weight. But because what's left when you took out all the fruits and the beans and the whole grains and the starchy vegetables, if people react by increasing meat intake, their cholesterols very often rise. Not always, because normally 
when you lose weight, your cholesterol will fall. But for a number of people, they rise. Plus, without the protection of the antioxidants in starchy vegetables and fruits and so forth, your risk of health, uh, health risks are greater. I'm talking about things like colorectal cancer. Um, and over the long run, people on low, lower carbohydrate diets have higher mortality. So why do that? Um, when, if, if you look at in Japan, back in the 1960s, they, they didn't know they were supposed to be on a ketogenic diet. So what they were eating was rice, huge amounts of rice. People in Japan ate rice all day long, relatively little meat. Uh, meat was kind of a flavoring, or fish was sort of a flavoring for the rice and noodles that they ate. And dairy was not big at all. And these people were the thinnest, healthiest, longest lived people on the planet. Um, and then when McDonald's arrived in Tokyo, people started eating more burgers and more chicken and then less rice. They started gaining weight and breast cancer rates doubled among affluent women who were westernizing their diet. So the idea that carbs are bad is a complete mistake. Um, you do want to have healthy carbohydrate rich foods like rice and sweet potatoes and, and, and other things. But um, no, I think a ketogenic diet is is a fad that I would I wish uh, hadn't happened. <laughs> I know, and it might be with us for a little longer. But hopefully, as we spread the word, well, it, it comes increase. and goes. It, it, it comes and it goes, and you know, in fact, for individuals, they do it for a while, and then they can't stand it anymore, and so they quit, and then they get regain weight, and then they blame uh, whatever carbohydrate they started eating, and and for the rest of their life, they have this unfortunate view of nutrition, mm -hmm. which if a person follows a healthy plant based diet, which means vegetables, fruits, whole grains, and beans take some vitamin B12 as a supplement, uh, what you discover is that all these problems are not your, they're not your problem anymore. Yeah. Um, your weight gets into a healthy range. Yes. So yeah, and that's exactly what I was going to reemphasize is that what you're recommending is stick to the, the four food groups taught by PCRM, your fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, your beans, lentils, and especially for these hormonal issues to keep the plant sources of fat low. So the oils and even the nuts and seeds and avocado keep those to a minimum as well, correct? Yeah. Now, if you're young, skinny, and healthy, and, 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 and um, you don't have any health issues at all, having some guacamole and occasional bit of nuts and so forth, who cares? Um, but if I've got a person who's really trying to lose weight or if they're trying to reverse diabetes, in those cases, we encourage them to eat abundant grains and vegetables and fruits and, and legumes but to really set aside those fatty, fatty foods, even, even the nuts and the avocados in that case. Mm -hmm. Well, let's move on to body fat. We talked about the dietary fat, right. but one of the things that I'm curious about is body fat because you know we, we advocate for weight loss a lot in the medical community, but it seems to me whenever you read these studies that a lot of these health issues may start to reverse before significant weight loss even occurs. Yes. So I'm wondering if um, what your perspective is on that. Whenever we're counseling patients or talking to our friends and family members about changing their diet, changing what they're eating, that it's more about what they're eating, not necessarily just go on a fad diet to lose weight. Can you talk more about that perspective? Um, yes. And, and of course, when a person follows a healthy diet, as, as we're, we're describing, all of these same things happen simultaneously. Mm -hmm. um, that a person's cholesterol level will fall if they've got high blood sugar, that falls. And their body weight will fall, too, if, if they have excess body weight. But what you said is right, that very often you'll see other changes, healthy changes, before the weight loss starts. Uh, with diabetes, for example, um, when people follow a healthy plant-based diet for type 2 diabetes, their blood sugars start to improve before they've really lost much weight. 
Now, uh, extra as weight loss goes on, that's, that's, that's good. But think of body weight as just your storage tank of extra fat. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're also putting fat down in your esophagus every day, um, that ends up poisoning the body in a variety of ways. With, with diabetes, the fat gets into the muscle and liver cells and causes them to, to be insulin resistant. So when you get the fat out of your diet, the, your muscle and liver cells can respond to insulin more normally and your blood sugar falls even before you've lost much body weight. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just wanted you to point that out just because I feel like so many people are discouraged or they've given up because they've tried so many diets. They haven't lost weight. They don't want to focus on weight loss anymore, but really starting with the diet changes, starting with the food can make a huge difference. And then everything will kind of fall naturally into place the way it's supposed to. So I just wanted to point that out because really a lot of the studies do show that some of these changes can be very rapid. In fact, so powerful that we have to give patients warnings that if they're on diabetes medicines, that they need to be followed closely by their doctors because their blood sugars may go too low if they're taking medications that help lower their blood pressure on top of the diet change. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. That's right. It's because the diet change is getting you back to normal. And when you were normal, you didn't need insulin. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you're still taking the insulin and your blood sugar can tank. Um, So you have to, as you said, the patient needs to be in touch with the doctor or caregiver and, and you say, I'm starting this really powerful, great new diet. It's called a low-fat vegan diet. Um, and Dr. Barnard told me to do it. Um, and so the patient will be hopefully checking their blood sugar. If they have symptoms of hypoglycemia, they are in touch with the doctor. Um, and then you're on 20 units of insulin, and now you're going to be reduced to 18 and 16 and 14 and 12. And the doctor will work with you to bring it down when it's, uh, as, as uh, time goes by. Uh, by the way, let me say a word for, for people who are discouraged. You mentioned people who are having trouble losing weight. You know, you can get discouraged with typical weight loss methods. Um, you go to see the dietitian who says, okay, cut, cut 500 calories a day off your diet, and you discover you're pretty hungry, and by Wednesday you're about ready to eat the sofa, and then you blame yourself, your terrible willpower, and you know, it's not your fault. Um, there are all kinds of crazy diets out there that it's easy to fail at. And, and what has failed is the diet, not you. So when we use a plant-based diet, we, we use two steps. And for anybody who's been discouraged, let me encourage you to try these two steps. Step one, on your calendar, mark out seven days. And for the seven days, we're going to do step one. And this is, don't take anything out of your diet. You're not going to become a vegan. What you're going to do is eat your normal foods. But I want you to think about plant-based foods that you would like to eat that would work for you. If, if you were a vegan, what would you actually eat? And you've got seven days to try them. So let's say every morning I have cornflakes with cow's milk. I never tried almond milk, but I think I'd like to. So if you never tried it, go to the store and buy it and see if you like it. And if you don't like it, then you don't write it down on, a, on your list. But if you like it, keep a list of the foods that work for you. Um, or every morning I have sausage. I guess they have veggie sausage. I'll try it. And if you like it, write it down. Um, Or for lunch, every day I go to Subway and I have them make me a chicken sandwich. But I understand they have a veggie sandwich. I never tried it. You got seven days, try it. Or tonight, we're going Italian. Um, And I always have my angel hair pasta with a meat sauce. Tonight, I'm going to try the arrabbiata sauce because that's vegan. Um, If you like it, it goes on the list. So seven days go by. And you'll have all kinds of breakfasts and lunches and dinners on your list. 
So that's step one. Now, and everybody can do that. You just think of what you would like to eat. Step two, on your calendar, three weeks. And during this three-week period, now you are going to eliminate all the animal products from your diet. You're going to become a vegan for three weeks. But it's now easy because, first of all, it's only three weeks, and you can do anything for three weeks. But the other thing is you've already pre-tested all the foods. So you can have your cornflakes with almond milk or your Subway sandwich or whatever you decided in the first step that you liked. So after three weeks, you'll discover two things. The first is that physically you are changing. You're losing weight, even though you're not going hungry. Um, this diet is working for you. It can be, it can be gradual and, and take it slow. Pound a week, fine. There's 52 weeks in a year. A pound a week is, is fine by me. Um, the second thing though, is you discover that your tastes for food are changing. You find yourself embracing healthier food in a way you didn't expect to. And the things you thought you couldn't live out without, you didn't miss them so much. So step one, take a week to test out, check out the possibilities. Step two, three weeks to do a test drive. And after that, you do what you want. But what, all very, what, what always happens really, is people really love it. And they say, all right, I'm gonna do another week. I'm gonna do another week. And pretty soon it just becomes second nature and it's the easiest diet change you have ever made. And I love that approach about taking it the first week as kind of an exploratory, you know, very non-intimidating thing. And then doing this experiment, let's do a test run, see what happens. Right. I think that makes it very non-intimidating for people. There's something that they can really try out. And you're right. A lot of people, they see the changes, they feel the changes in their body. They feel their well-being increasing and they stick with it. So that's great. Well, oh, and, and these changes can be really, really quick. Um, there's a, a, a young woman I mentioned in your body and balance. Her name is Catherine and she was an air force aerospace engineer. Um, and she, uh, to make a long story short, she started developing weight gain and she, 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 she describes it. She was kind of a cheeseaholic. Mm -hmm. Um, and she was really tucking into Mac and cheese and so forth. And she, she was gaining weight, but she also developed pain in her abdomen that turned out to be endometriosis. The, the doctor did a laparoscopy and found inside her abdomen was these cells that are supposed to line, be lining the uterus, but instead they're all around your abdomen. That, that's endometriosis. And they can strangle the fallopian tubes leading to infertility. And so she had this diagnosis that she tried painkillers and she tried um, hormonal treatments. Nothing was making it go away. So her doctor finally said to her, look, you're infertile anyway um, because of this disease. Uh, we'll do a laparoscopic hysterectomy. We'll, we'll remove your uterus and then you'll feel okay. And she thought, I, I don't really want to do that because she and her husband were kind of newlyweds and they hadn't raised their family. And this meant they weren't going to. Um, but pretty soon she realized she couldn't live this way. And so she scheduled the procedure. But the, the procedure couldn't be scheduled for another six weeks. During that time, a friend dragged her to a nutritionist. And the nutritionist said, look at what you're eating. I'm gonna make you vegan for the, for, uh, and, and did, took out all the animal products, especially the dairy, gone, kept the oils really low, exactly the kind of diet I was describing for the woman who had menstrual pain. And she started feeling better. I mean, just right away, better, better, day by day by day. Six weeks came though, and it was the day for her surgery. So she went in, she was a dutiful patient, and she showed up and they anesthetized her. And the doctor was gonna do this laparoscopic uh, procedure. And so the doctor made an incision and put in the laparoscope about an hour later, 
she woke up in the recovery room and the doctor said to her, Catherine, I didn't do the procedure. I looked, I looked inside with a laparoscope. Your endometriosis is, is gone. Um, you just don't have it. She had a few adhesions that he, that he clipped, but that, that was it. The, she had terrible endometriosis six weeks earlier and now it was gone. And her mother is in the room and, and her mother said, she went vegan, that's it. And the doctor said, stop it, that's not it. You know, a vegan diet, you know, foods don't cause endometriosis and there's no way some vegan hippie diet is gonna make this go away, that's ridiculous. He said, there, there's only one medical explanation for this. Well, what is that? The doctor said, this is a miracle. So, so anyway, that's written in her chart, I think. Um, here's my point, you asked, does it take a long time, can it be quick? Get your body into balance and your body will heal in the same way as a cut on your skin will heal or a broken bone will heal. The, the cast doesn't heal you. The cast just holds your bones still. So the healing process that's built into the cell can take over. And the rest of your body has a capacity to heal as well. It's not perfect, but it's good. In the same way, if you get the cholesterol out of your blood to a substantial degree, the arteries open up again. If, you, if, you, if we stop dialing our hormones into hormone haywire by eating fatty, low-fiber foods, animal products, and if, if we get back into balance with our diet, the body can heal. Mm, I love that. Yes, the body has the natural capacity to self-heal. And if we just get out of the way and stop injuring it three to five times a day with the foods that we're eating, then it can do that. You know, you're speaking about endometriosis and infertility, something that's becoming even more common that's affecting young women across this country is polycystic ovarian syndrome, becoming more and more common, causing pain, irregular periods, infertility for some women. But there is a connection between the PCOS, that's the abbreviation, and diabetes. Can you talk a little bit more about what those two conditions have in common? Yeah, um, PCOS has been a real puzzle for a, a very long period of time. And, and when women have polycystic ovaries, it's, it's in part genetic. Um, that just on a genetic basis, your body, which normally makes, a, a woman's body will normally make estrogens, the female sex hormones, and just a trace of androgens, the male sex hormone. Every woman has a little bit. In PCOS, you have just a little bit too much. And so a woman might notice uh, a little bit of maybe some facial hair, or something like that. Um, and sometimes they get these, what are called polycystic ovaries, cysts on your ovaries. Not every woman gets it, but some, some of them do. Um, at the same time, they also get insulin resistance. Um, you see that the, the muscle and liver cells start to act up and your blood sugar will rise. Um, and many women have problems with their weight and so forth. Uh, in fact, I, I have a whole PCOS chapter in Your Body in Balance. I describe a young woman named Allison. And by the way, these are all real people. Um, Allison is a dietitian in Wisconsin, and she her job is she works as part of a cancer team, counseling women with who have cancer on 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 what to eat, and but she had PCOS, and it caused her to be infertile and caused all kinds of problems. Um, at some point, she thought, well, wait a minute, I'm counseling other women about their diet. Why don't I work on my diet? And so she's gradually changed her diet, but she ended up with an entirely, really 100% plant-based diet. And within just a matter of weeks, she got, she had a normal cycle. And within weeks after that, she discovered that she was pregnant. And you should see, she sent me a picture. She has the most beautiful baby. And just to, to, to see her family, 
just beaming when she, she thought this was never going to happen. Um, so the, again, the point is that it could be quick, but PCOS otherwise is a real headache for people. It's diagnostically challenging for patients and doctors and for the patients. They try to think, what, what have I done wrong? Nothing is, nothing is fixing us up. The doctor starts diabetes medications for them, like metformin, uh, because it will improve your insulin sensitivity, but that's not, you, you don't have a metformin deficiency. You know, that's not the cause of this condition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so basically what you're saying is it's worth giving this diet change a try because it probably will help several women and may improve their symptoms. And at the very least, it could improve some of that insulin sensitivity because the same diet change for diabetes that can help diabetes insulin sensitivity may also positively affect this condition as well. Absolutely. It affects the hormonal parts of it. Um, uh, I'm talking about the, the, um, the sex hormone part. Um, insulin is a hormone as well. It makes your body more responsive to that. It makes weight loss really simple. Um, all of which are really, really, really beneficial. Mm -hmm. um, and by the way, I was mentioning um, Catherine, the aerospace engineer earlier. Um, I forgot to mention that in addition to endometriosis, she also had um, breast, fibrocystic breast disease mm -hmm. where her breasts would really hurt. And after she went on a plant-based diet, that went away too. Um, and it's, it's because hormones affect your whole body. The ovaries make estrogen, but when it, once it's in your blood, it reaches the breasts, it reaches the ovaries, it reaches the uterus, it reaches your brain. It reaches all parts of you. And if it's not dialed in the right zone, you can get into trouble. And that's true for all the hormones. You want some estrogen and not too much. Mm -hmm. Some insulin and not too much. Some thyroid hormone, not too much. You need to be in balance. Yes, that's why that word balance is so important, right? Because <laughs> it, it can't be too much one side or the other. All right, well, let's move on to acne because acne is one of those conditions that a long time ago we believed, oh, it is affected by maybe chocolate or some of the foods you eat. And then as I was growing up, it was like, absolutely not. Acne has nothing to do with diet. It's just something you get when you go through puberty. Some people have it longer. But what you're saying in, this, in your book is that actually acne may be impacted by the foods that we eat. Yeah, it, it may. It, it, by the way, including chocolate. Um, the, the, the word on the street is that that's a myth. You know, every adolescent says, no, I don't think this is a myth. I think there's something to this. Um, but their doctors say, oh, no, that's been disproved. It really hasn't. There, um, there was a, a, an oft-quoted study by Al, uh, Albert Kligman in um, Pennsylvania um, where he, he, he uh, tested chocolate and said it, it doesn't cause acne. But I got to tell you, he became an extremely controversial person. Um, because of his research methods. Um, this is a little bit of an aside, but he, he tested on prisoners. Um, he went into a Philadelphia prison, and he did all kinds of things. Yeah, I mean, he exposed prisoners to, to serious toxins, I mean, things far worse than chocolate. But, but anyway, he did the chocolate study, where he would give some of the prisoners, give them chocolate, and the other prisoners, as a control group, he gave them a, a bars that were similar to chocolate, but they were just loaded with saturated fat, not chocolate. Mm -hmm. And at, at, in the observations that he made, he said, well, you know, the, you can't really see any difference between these two, so chocolate must not be a problem. The, the, perhaps a more appropriate conclusion is that the other bar was not healthy either. Mm -hmm. It was all fatty junk. So researchers have looked into this in more, um, more carefully, and it looks like many people actually do react to chocolate. Um, and you don't have to take it on faith, just skip the chocolate and see if you don't do better. But there's another part of it. Uh, milk chocolate is pretty milky. If you look at the 
ingredients. Milk is not the last ingredient, it's one of the first. Um, and researchers have been looking at milk's contribution. And Harvard researchers in particular started looking at people who remembered consuming a lot of dairy products um, during childhood and remembering their acne. The, the, the two seemed to go together. So that prompted them to do a prospective study where they looked at kids going through adolescence and they tracked their dairy intake. And they found that both high fat dairy and low fat dairy were associated with increased uh, acne. Um, now acne certainly has something to do with the hormonal changes of puberty and so forth, but in, in populations that are on really healthy, non-junk food, effectively non-dairy diets, you just don't see much acne. Mm -hmm. um, so for, I encourage people to, to be on as clean of a plant-based diet as they possibly can be and see if that doesn't help their skin. Yes, I love that, definitely. And in your book, you talk about a set of twins that actually were already plant-based, but they happened to be consuming a really higher fat plant-based diet with lots of peanut butters and nuts and things like that. And they had a very dramatic change by cutting those added fats out and just sticking to the low fat uh, vegan diet. So it's very, they, very they, interesting. Their names are Nina and Randa Nelson. They're, they're real people like everybody else in the, in the, in the book, but they, they were raised as vegans. Um, and frankly, they were eating in a pretty healthy way, but they weren't tracking, they weren't limiting their fat intake. Um, and they had, they had really a pretty bad breakout, uh, breakouts over and over and over and over again. And uh, eventually, to make a long story short, they, they changed their diets to, they're still vegan, but now low in fat. Mm -hmm. And just about overnight, their skin just cleared up. Um, so I would encourage anybody to give this approach a try and see how they, how they do. Awesome. Well, Dr. Barnard, what do you wish more people knew? You know, I, I, to tell you, I really wish that people knew that their health is to a large degree under their control. Not completely. The body is a fragile thing. And even if you take really good care, for it, care of it, some bad things are going to happen. It's like your car. You can baby it as much as you want to, but things are going to go wrong with your car. Same is true with your body. But if people knew that, for example, they could control the hormone levels. And when I say hormones, I'm talking about estrogens in men, testosterone, the thyroid hormone that's made at the base of your neck, controlling your energy level or insulin or other hormones. If we knew that you could control them and knew some simple, simple steps to doing that, you could really, uh, I, I, I think not only change your health now, but greatly reduce the risk of illnesses down the road. We're not going to live forever, but our hope is to live as well as we can. Yes, just for people to feel a little bit more empowered, a little bit more in charge. Your genes are not your destiny. You have more control than that. And so, and definitely just like Dr. Bernard was saying, there's some things that may be out of our control, but there's a lot more that we don't know that is in our control that most people assume that they don't have control over, especially when it comes to things like type two diabetes. Just because every single person in your family has it doesn't mean you have to have it especially if you look at changing your diet um, from the way that your family usually eats. So I think that's very, very important words. Well, taking a little bit more personal, what personal habit are you the most proud of? How did you develop it and how do you maintain it? Oh, uh, well, I guess it's no secret that, that I follow a completely vegan diet. And to me, that's kind of, that's more important than anything. I mean, I also am a non-smoker and I exercise and do those things, but I have to say that I think the vegan diet is for me the most important. And I have to say, it started in a peculiar way. I was, the year before I went to medical school, I had a job 
as an autopsy assistant in a hospital. And what that means is that when somebody died in the hospital and the pathologist was going to do an autopsy to determine the cause of death, my job was to get the body ready and to help the pathologist with the exam. And one day we had a guy who died in the hospital of a massive heart attack, probably from eating hospital food, but that's another story. So anyhow, the pathologist, he knew I was going to go to medical school. So he would give me these elaborate lectures as we were doing the exam. And so on this particular day, he, he removed a big chunk of ribs from the chest so that we could examine the heart. And he set the, the ribs on the table and then he said, look at the coronary arteries. And, and they were filled with atherosclerotic plaque. He would say, it's your bacon and eggs, Neil. Okay, okay, okay. Anyway, at the end of this particular exam, um, he wrote up his findings and left the room. And so I had to clean up. So I took the ribs, put them back in the chest, tried to make them fit with the other ribs. I would sew up the skin and everything. And then I, I went up to the cafeteria to go have lunch. As fate would have it, they were serving ribs for lunch. Oh, no. <laughs> and I, I looked at this, and it looked like a body. And it smelled like it. And I thought, wait a minute, it is a body. And I didn't become a vegetarian right, right at that point, but I, could not, I just couldn't eat that. And see, I grew up in North Dakota. My dad was raised in the, in the cattle business, and to his credit, he left it. He, he decided, I'm, I'm through with this. But I personally drove cattle to slaughter. I hunted, all this stuff. My first job was at McDonald's. And here, I suddenly thought, uh-oh, no, you can't unlearn something like that. So as time went on, I started learning more about the health aspects and, and also about the environmental aspects and the animal aspects and all the reasons why you might want to rethink your diet. And so by the time I got through my medical training, I... Um, I quit smoking. I shouldn't tell you, but I used to be a smoker. And I stopped eating animal products, and I never look back. And I just think it's, it's, there's no sense of deprivation. It's just the opposite. You know, when I was growing up in Fargo, every day it was roast beef, baked potatoes, and corn. And then now, here, I, I live in Washington. I can have a wonderful Italian uh, dinner. I can have um, a beautiful Chinese dinner, Sichuan, Hunan. Uh, dinner. I can have veggie sushi, cucumber rolls, and asparagus rolls, and sweet potato rolls. Or we have Ethiopian, Thai, Vietnamese, you name it. There's a bounty of wonderful plant-based foods. If you said you can't eat any of that, you got to go back to North Dakota and have roast beef, baked potatoes, and corn. I think, oh my God. You know, it's just the greatest way to, to take care of your health because all the foods taste so good and, and are good for you. Oh my goodness. I just love that story so much. I love how fate on that day <laughs> of, of you know doing that autopsy and going to have the ribs and how that really just planted the seed for you took yeah. a few years but wow and and look what you've created now from that it, that's just i'm so glad that happened to you even though that was probably a tough day to experience that wow that's that's just beautiful thank you so much well can you um tell us how listeners can connect with you dr barnard how can they find out more about what you're doing Oh, well, thank you. Um, our website is pcrm.org. That stands for Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, pcrm.org. And everything we've been talking about, can I just show you this? This is your body in balance. Mm -hmm. um, this book is coming out February 4th. And I'm hope to tell you the truth, I'm hoping two things. I'm hoping people will, will benefit from it. So if there's a 15-year-old girl who's just got cramps and her family is telling her that's just part of being a woman, well, Maybe not. I mean, let's, let's see if we can fix this. Or if a guy has got erectile dysfunction and he thinks he just needs Viagra, maybe not. Um, so let's, let's tackle these things. But, but more importantly than that, yes, I hope people get better. But more importantly, I hope they share this information. 
share it on social media, share it with their families. We've got to get this information out there. Um, because right now, kids of 12 years old are eating chicken nuggets at school. On the way home, they're eating string cheese. At night, they have a frozen pizza. And they turn on the commercials on TV. Uh, half the commercials are snack foods, and the other half are medications. And they think that's the normal life. And we've got to get back in balance so that you can live well and be strong and feel good. Um, so, so we, we, yes, learn about a healthy diet, but make noise. We got to let other people know. Absolutely. Oh, I love that so much. And definitely this is airing before the release of your book. So if everybody hops on, you can pre-order the book right now. You'll get it very quickly. Amazon Prime works great. And then read it and share it. It is a fabulously written book. It is very easy to read. I was able to read it actually in one day on my couch. So that was oh, my Sunday. What a so, um, and But it, you also organize it into chapters where you're able to really digest each one of the conditions. And you can look and see if there's something that you're affected by or a family member or friend might be affected by that it may help them. So thank you so much. And your organization, PCRM, is also active on pretty much all the social media channels, right? Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Sure are. And, and let me also tip my hat to Lindsay S. Nixon. For people who don't know Lindsay, she, she's the happy herbivore. And I connected with Lindsay because I wanted just some bang up great recipes to put in your body and balance. And, and um, she came through. There's 65 recipes from Lindsay. But when she sent them to me, she sent me a note. And she said, Dr. Barnard, you don't know this. Um, she herself had just terrible, terrible menstrual cramps uh, before. She changed her diet, knocked them out, reclaimed her health. And so she said, for me, this is personal. So I, I was really quite surprised because I, that's not why I worked with her. I worked with her because she's just the greatest when it comes to be to uh, creating recipes. But um, anyway, there you go. Yes. And I, and I will second that. I actually have done her meal plans and all kinds of stuff. But what I love about her recipes is that they are easy to make. Yeah. So this is does not going to have to be like gourmet. You don't, you're not going to need fancy equipment. You can make these recipes and they're delicious. They're going to help complement this way of eating that's going to put your hormones in balance. So it's a perfect combination. Thanks for remembering to mention her. Well, Dr. Barnard, could you leave my listeners with one call to action for this week? What could my listeners do this week? Okay. Um, you, you could start my two-step method if you want to. Um, but the other thing is, let me encourage you to think through, I think that perhaps the most important thing is think through somebody you know or somebody in your, in your family whose health you are thinking about over the long run. Um, is it a parent? Is it a sibling? Is it a child or a niece or a nephew? Or maybe somebody at work? And think of just something that you might be able to do for that person. This goes along with my make noise um, theory. Um, think of uh, referring them to a movie or a website like the PCRM site. Reach out and touch somebody else. Because in any given day, a doctor might see maybe 20 patients if it's a really busy day and hopefully you change some of their lives. But you have lots and lots of people following you right now. And if each one of them reaches out and inspires or educates somebody else together, you're never gonna know how many lives you save, but it's huge. And it just depends on other people reaching out, touching somebody else. Oh, I love that. Okay, listeners, my veggie lovers. So this week, think of somebody that you wanna help, somebody that you want to impact, 
and refer them over to PCRM.org, the vegan 21 day kickstart. It's great. Um, forks over knives, something like that, something that you yeah. feel that they're able to access. That is a great call to action for this week. Dr. Barnard, you of course are the greatest. I love you so much. Thank you for everything that you do. This is a wonderful episode. I know people will benefit so much from this and your book. And I hope, and I know you will, have a very plantastic day. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been great being with you today. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for tuning in, and I look forward to having you back again next week. A very special thank you to the band Rocket Surgeons for permission to use the broccoli song. To find out more about the Rocket Surgeons, please visit their website at rocketsurgeonsband.com or Facebook at Rocket Surgeons Music. Please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Also, all of my social media links can be found in the podcast description. Send me a message and let me know what you think of today's podcast. Sharing is caring. Please share, rate, and review my podcast and drop me a line if you have ideas for future episodes. Thank you once again and have a plantastic day. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.